Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are so glad you clicked on this episode. Here we go. Why privilege is not a cuss word, though. <laughs> now, if you have been checking your feed or scrolling even through, be it Instagram or Twitter or the newspaper, anywhere, you know, <laughs> there's so much going on in, especially the Christian community, talking about privilege and understanding white privilege and understanding where it came from, how it operates, how it's systemic, how it's overt. And even just this morning, Ashley, I saw the essay by Kyle Korber, the Mm -hmm. NBA star with the Utah Jazz. I saw Matt Chandler, uh, pastor of the Village Church in Flower Mound, Mound, Texas. He posted something about it, about why this is important and why Hmm. this matters. And so one of the things I do celebrate is that both... um, whether you identify as a more progressive Christian or a more conservative Christian, this matters to all of us because it's not about the adjective before a follower of Jesus. It is about um, if we follow Jesus, we have got to deal with this. We've got to understand this because as we grow, this is an opportunity for growth and this is an opportunity to really deal with some felt needs um, going on among people here and abroad. This isn't just a Western issue. This isn't just a... Eastern issue. This is a people issue. Yeah. So, Ashley, why do you think people feel like privilege is such a hot button cuss word? Well, I think that I have so many thoughts about this, and I'm very excited for this topic. So, if you are a white listener, I just want you to lean in, take a deep breath. We're not here to shame you. There's no guilt that's going to be happening here. We're just here to have a dialogue about this. And as a white person, I want to walk with you and journey with you as we learn more about this topic. And I think um, I want to take it back to the beginning a little bit, Tiffany. Is that okay? And then I want to share a little bit of my personal experience. Okay, so initially, when you think about the Americas, if you live here, um, and I know there are many people around the world listening to our podcast and we love you so journey with us for a minute but you know the reason that america could come and be colonized is because of the doctrine of discovery which was given out in a church so the churches in spain and the churches in england gave their their leadership their spiritual leadership their religious leadership gave this doctrine of discovery and basically what they said to the men is hey wherever you go whatever land you set your foot on it is rightfully yours because god says it's yours and then when they got here they were like yes god has given us this land so we will commit genocide and kill all these people so that we can inhabit the land and so it's very interesting that from the very beginning um you know it, it was tied up in religion it was tied up in um in white people coming to just sort of take over. (laughs) And so because of that, we have this culture of whiteness, which is another term that gets thrown around a lot and not a lot of people really understand what it means, but we have this culture of whiteness, which says that white is is supreme to any other race. So even in our constitution, the Native Americans that we killed, the ones who stayed alive were then identified as savages. And then people who were brought over here against their will and enslaved as African Americans, or maybe they came up from the Caribbean, but black people, in America were then relegated to three-fifths of a person, and that is documented in our Constitution. And even though um, women are never even mentioned in that, so imagine, again, the degree of marginalization that this sort of idea of whiteness, this culture of whiteness has created here in America. 
And honestly, our country is not that old. When you look at around the world, if you look globally at how old countries are, at how old governments are, at how old things are, America is quite new other than the Native Americans who lived here for what they estimate 15 to 20,000 years prior to us arriving. But our country being founded is quite new. And so because of that, we have to recognize that our country is actually systemically built for white people to be able to thrive. And, and not women per se, because initially it was created for white men. To, to thrive because women, no matter your color, had no voice and had no say. We couldn't vote. We couldn't speak up in our homes. If you were without a man, you were considered more destitute and vulnerable. So you got to think about what is our founding history as a country? And I don't know about you, Tiffany, or any of our listeners, but growing up, we didn't learn about the genocide. We learned that pilgrims sat down with Native Americans and it was beautiful. And they had this awesome Thanksgiving dinner. And then the island of Manhattan got sold for this really great price. <laughs> and we didn't learn that it was a big hustle and that the Lenape Indians would now be put completely out of their space. We didn't learn any of this stuff. And so as I've gotten older and as I've grown, I've become to understand what it means for the indigenous people that were here before us, what it means for those who were enslaved people of color coming here. Not to mention that in, in the 1900s, we had Japanese internment camps here in America. So we have done some pretty horrible things to people of color. And I think it it is important for us to recognize this idea of privilege being founded in white supremacy and just identifying that. And I could go on and on about things in the news, whether you want to talk about Charlottesville and people chanting in the streets, holding torches, shouting, Heil Trump, and you will not replace us, and all the things that people were shouting as Charlottesville's taking place. And we could be all over the map about how people feel about freedom of speech and all those other things. Yes, we could have all that dialogue. But the point is that no one was really hurt or wounded by doing that. Um, I mean, people were actually killed in the march, but white people were not really held accountable to what they had done. It was okay for them to march in the streets. But then I think about when there's a Black Lives Matter march, it all ends very differently. You know, you look at Ferguson, it all ended very, very differently. And um, so I just think this culture of whiteness that we have is really important to identify. Now, can I share with you, Tiffany, and listeners, how I personally identified privilege in my life? <laughs> well, before, before you do that, I think that as you talk about the privilege and the lack of consequences for white men over the hundreds of years that yeah. America has been a country, you also add to that the lack of access, right? The right. lack of um, access to education, the Come lack on. of access. And not only were they three-fifths of a human, not only did we put Native Americans, the ones who survived on their own, you know, land that we have set out for them that we decide that they get to actually live on not only yeah. do we put people in internment camps we rob them of basic food shelter water and then of yes. course self-actualization needs come on such as education yep. uh you know being able to advance in life and or education career stuff like that so i think that the combination of all of that is just heinous it really is yeah. and I think our inflammatory political conversation at the moment, even people are, you know, reparations is a huge part of the 2020 dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so I think all these things are coming up because we actually, there is a human need in all of us to sort of deal with these issues, right? Like mm -hmm. people want to be talking about this. They want to figure it out and we need to, it's like, gosh, we really need to. Mm -hmm. So personally for me, um, you know, here's what you didn't see coming about me, listener, is that I've had seven warrants out for my arrest. Seven, yes, you guys. <laughs> Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, seven. not six, but seven. I love you so much. And most of it was, you know, for really, really dumb things, like not showing up in court because I had a parking ticket, um, you know, not showing up in court for losing my license over um, – 
you know, my, my license being suspended over whatever the issue might have been. So most of these things are not life-threatening issues. They were not, you know, Ashley is just, you know, this criminal who's breaking all the laws. Although in a sense, the law is set up to favor different economic brackets. So for me, I'd have to lose a full day of work to go to court, plus paying for the court fees, like all these different things, which I, I'll unpack that at another time. But all that to say, seven warrants out for my arrest. And you know, I never one time was arrested, even though while those warrants were out, I had been pulled over by cops who would say, you need to turn around and go home right now. Go take your car home. Do not drive until you get this settled. Um, I never one time was arrested or taken to court for those warrants. And then um, several years later, I heard Brian Stevenson, who is the author of Just Mercy, which we'll put in the show notes for you, because I think it's a powerful look through the lens of story at our criminal justice system. And it's really important for us to know about these things. I heard him speak at a conference and I thought, holy cow. I mean, he was unpacking the criminal justice system in a very personal, real way, how his organization works with um, people who are on death row, who are actually innocent and DNA evidence proves that they're innocent. And he works with them to get them off of death row and to see them released from prison. So he has some incredible, powerful stories. He's also journeyed with the likes of Rosa Parks. So he is like a living legend that we should all know. And after I heard him speak, I felt so strongly about the criminal justice system and so strongly there was a pull in my heart personally to begin to work as a chaplain in jails. And I had no real resource or opportunity to do so, but I reached out to several of my contacts at the time and just said, hey, does anybody know any prison ministries or any chaplaincy opportunities that I could be a part of? And one of the, um, a police chaplain actually reached back out to me and said, yes, we actually are starting a program. Would you please come and be a part of it? Um, and it was really powerful because I was pregnant at the time. I was a woman and he was inviting me into this conversation and inviting me to have an opportunity to be a chaplain in jails. And so as I began to serve in the jails, one by one, I started praying for people and typically they would be arrested for things like being homeless or, um, you know, uh, potential gang activity or alleged, um, you know, solicitation of prostitution or alleged prostitution. And so then there was one other one that was typical. Like every time I'd go into the jails to pray with people, this was one of the reasons that people were arrested. And that was warrants out for their arrest. Mm -hmm. And so I remember praying for this beautiful mother. I mean, she literally looked like she had gone to the grocery store on her lunch break or something. And I'm sitting there praying with her. Um, we look the same except the only difference is that her skin is black and mine is white and she's being mm -hmm. locked up. Her daughter was at home with her mother um, and she was very nervous about her child and just feeling very stressed out. Um, and I was like, man, the only reason I didn't go to jail is because I'm white and not even just that I'm white, but I'm six foot two blonde, green eyes, white. And it works in my favor when a police officer pulls me over. And as much as I want to say that that's not the truth, it is the truth. And I used to often say, like, God's grace, man, his favor. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is a system built for white people. It's a system built for people like me. And that's why I've never been arrested for my seven warrants. You know, I've always been able to take care of those. And so because of that experience, I really had to face my privilege. And at the time when I started to, you know, privilege wasn't a cuss word. It wasn't a media buzzword. It wasn't in every article on the earth. It wasn't clickbait. It was like a very real thing that people were unpacking and talking about in the law enforcement community. It was something that people were unpacking in the, um, the government sectors. People were unpacking this in business. People were beginning to talk about this in the church because privilege was, we realized, People were being afforded opportunities because of the color of their skin. They were being shot less by police officers because of the color of their skin. Um, and so I think it's really important to have this dialogue. But that's how I personally began to discover, like, wow, there really is a thing called white privilege. And it was not favor and it was not grace that carried me through. It was my white skin.
Yeah. Um, Thank you for differentiating between favor and privilege. Come on. Because they're two totally different (laughs) things, right? Like, stop saying favor ain't fair. If you're hashtagging that, just stop it. Oh, please. (laughs) Please stop. Especially if your favor is you getting upgraded to a first class seat. Like, come on. Yeah. That's (laughs) just humble brag, right? We don't need that. Totally. No. We don't need that. I think it's that must have been so eye-opening to be sitting in a jail and you both had the same, I hate to say this, but criminal history Yes, having correct. warrants. Yep. And one of you had to pay a price that the other one didn't. And you're, yes. the other one is there ministering yes. to the one, and, and you had both done the same thing. So yes. I think it's just, if that's not the most eye-opening thing. And again, this isn't Ashley trying to lord her, quote-unquote, favor or grace or privilege. But really, as you said, it was an eye-opening experience to see how others are treated. I um, It really, really was. <laughs> yeah, that is that is so powerful. How do you feel that as uh, as believers, as women, and I know we have men listening as well, what do you think our next steps to really understand stepping back from not feeling privilege is such a hot button cuss word, but mm-hmm. how can we embrace this, see it, and if we do have privilege, use it to elevate others to equality? Yeah, I love that question. I mean, there's so many things we can do. I think the first thing is just acknowledging, you know, biblically that God says that we are all created in the image of God. Um, And when he created us, he created us and said it was very good. And he didn't, you know, begin to differentiate like, hey, white people look a little better. And, you know, um, this person over here looks a little better because of this. Or this person who is able-bodied is more important in the kingdom than this person who is disabled. You know, like God didn't have all these different you know, sort of separating categories for us. He created man and woman in his image and he said, it is good. And so I think it's important to know that the image of God is in every single person that we meet. So no matter their color, no matter their economic status, no matter what country they come from, because that's also very, very important that we don't look down on certain countries or think certain things about people. Um, And on that note, what, what is really informing our perspectives and the things that bug us? You know, because very often if we examine that, we find out that most of our information comes from the media or an article we read on Facebook or some little clickbait piece on Twitter or a soundbite that we heard from some sort of political conversation. And I think it's really important that we realize that there are actual facts that we can know and that there are actual things that we can read that would help us grow into a deeper understanding of who one another is. And as a white person too, you know, sometimes we can feel excluded from the conversation. You know, um, I love this article that we will put in the show notes and it's called explaining white privilege to a broke white person. And I really loved the author's perspective because she's talking about basically growing up in a trailer park and how, how in the world can you tell somebody who's growing up in a trailer park who may or may not have running water all the time that they are privileged? Like, how can you even say that? And she sort of begins to unpack how that's true. And I love what she shared because she, she draws on another article that we will also put Um, post for you by Peggy McIntosh, where she's talking about privilege. But what Peggy's article fails to do is recognize the class issues that are intersectional to privilege. Mm -hmm. Because if you're growing up in a certain neighborhood, then you're not going to have certain things. And as a white person, you can also grow up in a really poor educational system and have zero access to healthcare. And the truth is, in America, white people are the majority of people who are on the welfare system. So all the government income that we talk about, or you hear, you know, especially around election time, people who want to dismantle our welfare system or people who want to remove government benefits. And obviously there's room for everybody to have um, their thoughts about what would be best 
policy-wise, but at the same time, we very often get this image in our head that it's people of color who are, you know, um, sucking the government dry. And the facts are that white people are the people who are on welfare at the majority rates and are using free lunches and are using the different government benefits. And, you know, nobody who's using those is in a privileged position. For most states, you can't even buy tampons or paper towels or toilet paper on your government benefits. Did you guys know that? Like you actually cannot buy those things. So you have to find cash somehow in your life to be able to purchase those things. So we understand that privilege can look very different when it's intersected with class. But I think these articles will really, really help us because we need to understand that white skin still gives us opportunity. Um, here's what she writes in this article about how do you explain white privilege to a broke person. She says this, as you can see, belonging to one or more categories of privilege, and she lists a couple like being an able-bodied person, you know, gender identity, sexual orientation, citizenship, class. So she, she's recognizing that there are some things. And then she says, especially being a, a straight, white, middle-class, able-bodied male can be like winning a lottery you didn't even know you were playing. But this yeah. is not to imply that any form of privilege is exactly the same as another or that people lacking in one area of privilege understand what it's like to be lacking in other areas. Race discrimination is not equal to sex discrimination and so forth. And listen, recognizing privilege doesn't mean suffering, guilt, or shame for your lot in life. Nobody's saying that straight, white, middle-class, able-bodied males are a bunch of, I can't say the word, a-holes who don't work hard for what they have. <laughs> <laughs> Recognizing privilege simply means being aware that some people have to work much harder just to experience the things that you take for granted if they yes, ever can experience them at all. Can you say that last sentence one I would more love time? To. Recognizing privilege simply means being aware that some people have to work much harder just to experience the things you take for granted if they ever can experience them at all. And it's really so powerful. Awesome. She goes on to talk about, she's white, and so she goes on to talk about her own privileges, um, being a white citizen. And then she also talks about marrying up because she actually married a husband who had a degree, who had a college degree, who had an education. So she, coming from her poverty background, being able to marry and partner with a person who has all the things that um, invite privilege and power in our country actually gave her even more privilege. So there's just like layer upon layer upon layer of this. So I think the first step is recognizing that God, everyone is made in the image of God. Second step is educating ourselves, which we're going to help you do. We're going to resource you in the notes about all of these issues. The third thing, um, which I'd love to unpack with you, Tiffany, is just not being so sensitive <laughs> yeah. as a person. And that, that goes on all sides, no matter what your color is, but especially, especially white people, learning to not be sensitive about hearing another person's perspective perspective that doesn't line up with your own because no one's trying to guilt you or shame you into anything. We're just all trying to arrive at some clear understanding of where we're at. And your perspective matters too. Yes. You know, especially if you grew up a poor white, or maybe you grew up, you know, living in a trailer park or going through the issues they might be going through. It's okay to hear somebody else's experience. It doesn't invalidate yours. So can we talk a little bit about that sensitivity, yeah. Tiffany? I think before you can acknowledge another one's lived experience, you have to believe that your own is somewhere on the spectrum, right? right? So you said being able to see that everyone's made in the image of God and then moving on from there. But I think after accepting that everyone's made in the image of God is accepting that I have privilege of some sort, being able to say I have mm -hmm. it. And like you said, I shouldn't feel guilt and shame for this. Right. I should see it as this is my lot in life and this is an unfair system and this is a broken world and this is right. sadly how the way things have worked. But how can I bring equality with my personhood, with my experiences, yeah. with my compassion, with my heart, with my empathy? And then I think 
as you said, you know, how can we invite other people who don't have the same experiences, who look different? The biggest thing yes. is acknowledging someone's story and lived experience. I yeah. think the hardest thing, if I'm going to be completely honest, Ashley, is, and the thing that I have struggled most in my life mm. is others not acknowledging my experience. I, mm. um, and I've shared this before on why though, but if you're just now tuning in and you saw this, I'm adopted. I grew up with white parents, white brothers in a white community, didn't meet and engage with another person of color until I was 12 years old. Mm. And so just, I felt like I was always on the outside looking in and uh, it was so hard to explain my experience and the things I felt because they were constantly not acknowledged or demeaned or, oh, you don't really feel that way. Mm. Like, oh, this isn't the truth. Gosh. So even feeling just constantly like, man, my place or my experience doesn't matter here. This is just the way things are, right? Mm. This is just the way things are. You have access to this, this, and this because you're this, this, and this. And I guess I'm wow. just gonna- I'm just going to sit here and this is my lot in life. So I think Hmm. being able to acknowledge and with empathy and humility, listen to someone else's experience and see the broken storyline, see the loss, see the grief and not follow up with, oh, if you just did Oh my gosh, my pet peeve. If you just (laughs) pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, if you just, and this, and we've talked about this before, Ashley, but this is the evil of self-help. I'm not, not the, not the bad of self-help. It is downright evil because it does not acknowledge the broken systems that stifle, suffocate, and strangle someone who who doesn't have privilege. Correct. Man, that's so powerful. I wrote an article for Darling Magazine about that very thing, how this, um, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is absolutely the wrong rhetoric. It's the absolute wrong conversation. I mean, if you're talking to someone who has no college degree, I would be one of those people who has no college degree, who is can only have access to certain jobs and certain things. Um, you know, if you're making minimum wage, how do you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? How will you ever actually afford to live? You can't do that. Working hard rhetoric no longer works. It is not a thing. We are not living in that age. We have evolved. And so we can't pretend like that's just, if everyone just worked hard, they just have the same things. I mean, you have got to be kidding me. Um, That is actually one of my pet peeves. Thank you for breaking that down for us because I think it really matters. And you know, and we can go a step further too, because yeah, it's it starts with story, and I know you know this too, Tiffany. Like that's so powerful. And then we take another step, you know, which is how do I walk alongside someone? How do I begin to build a bridge? How do I begin to um, build relationship with a person? And I'm not talking about so we can you know suck the life out of another person and be like, tell me everything you know, and yeah. I want to hear it all. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about valuing someone as an equal looking at someone and realizing, you know what, at the ground of the cross, it's level there. Mm -hmm. Nobody is better than anybody else. Nobody is inferior to anyone else. We all stand side by side when we're looking at Jesus. So the cross levels the ground, no matter what is happening, God looks at us on the same level. And that's so powerful about the cross. And so I think it's important to go, what can I do to walk alongside people? What can I do to speak up in my spheres of influence? And as a white person, it's like acknowledging when somebody at your table says something that's basically racist. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be the courageous one who speaks to them and says, hey, you know, that's not cool. We don't talk like that at our table. I'm so sorry, but I can't let you do that. Or if you're having a a conversation about what might be happening, 
in in the news, you know, whether you're talking about immigration or you are talking about Black Lives Matter or whatever the issue might be, that you're the courageous one who can then stand up and say, actually, here's the truth, because I know a person who's part of Black Lives Matter, and this is what the leadership actually looks like. Here's what they're trying to do. Um, and you're the one who, who is able to speak up. Or if you're sitting in a meeting and you notice that um, a woman of color is constantly getting shut down every time she tries to share an idea, or she shares an idea, and then a white guy says it, and it gets acknowledged and heard that you oh, are, girl, come on. The story of my freaking uh, right? life. Right? <laughs> Come on. And so I think mm. we have to be the courageous ones who stand up and say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what so and so just said. That was a really good idea that she shared, you know, or that you're the yeah. one who says, hey, I noticed you got cut off. Is there anything else that you want to say? That we are courageous in our spheres of influence and make sure that it's, it's, us who who take responsibility for what's said and what's not said and we take responsibility for what who's in the room um and that's a powerful tool um one of my mentors taught me he he was a um a black man and he was a captain of a police force and he said to me here's what i always do when i go into a space that's collaborative and where people want to work together he said i look around and i go who's not in the room and why aren't they here and when I answer those questions, I can figure out an action plan for how to get them in the room and to help so solve some of the barriers that are keeping them from being here. And it was a really powerful moment for me. That's beautiful. I think one last thought from this conversation that I really come to is uh, it can be easy to stay in the echo chamber of your Twitter feed, come your on, Facebook feed. Sis, say so it. being able mm. to stand back and look at resources that, you, that might rub you the wrong way, yeah. that might feel like, oh, this feels like a lot. Or, you know, how Ashley just said, you know, you might be the one to stand up and say, we don't talk like that, or that's actually not how things are. Well, you, to be able to do that, you're going to be need to be resourced. So, come on. We're, again, we're going to have some stuff in the show notes today. And we really, this isn't lip service. We really pray that yes. you dive into this. This yes. is our this is our lives we're talking about. May we grow in this area um, and, and not, not overlook this major part of our lived experience and this part of others' lived experience. Yeah. So, think being able to read, have those resources, and have a uh, just a varied perspective, be able to take in a lot of stories, not just the ones who agree with you, because it's so easy to pick up a book yeah. or read an article. Yep. You stop reading by within three to five minutes because it, it doesn't sit well with you. Right. Keep reading, even if you feel uncomfortable, even if you feel a little insulted, uh, keep reading and, and keep discovering what other people's experiences are because it's only going to make you wiser. It's only yes. going to hopefully make you more tender. The goal isn't to be more combative. The goal is to build bridges. So good, Tiffany. I'm just so grateful to partner with you. Like I love doing this with you. I love learning your perspective. I love hearing your voice. And I think you have so much to give us. And I'm so, so grateful that we can do this together because this is a hard wow. conversation, sis. Oh, you know I'm sweating through my shirt. Sweating through my shirt. <laughs> and I just have to say, listeners, uh, it is so beautiful that Ashley serves as an ally to people of color, those in the margins. This is this is beautiful. And we invite all of you, no matter your background, no matter your experience, no matter your yeah. education, we're all allies. Yes. It's we awesome. love you. Yep. We love you. We love you. We know this might bring up a lot of questions, so feel yeah. free to Facebook us direct email message us. on Instagram email yes. yeah you can find all that on our websites which is in the show notes yeah. we love you we'll see you next week bye 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 hey listeners remember to subscribe and comment it helps others to find the show to learn more about Tiffany's writing speaking or books visit tiffanybloom.com to learn more about Ashley's writing speaking or books visit ashabercrombie.org see you next week